Motorsport is hosting an exclusive Reader's Evening with Audi heroes Tom Christensen, Alan McNish, number one engineer Howden H. Haynes and the first female engineer to win Le Mans, Lena Gade. The evening will include a one-off screening of the documentary Truth in 24, filmed at the 2008 Le Mans 24-hour race and an open forum with all the Audi stars. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Call Motorsport Magazine now on 020-7349-8472 for details and to book your ticket or email readersevents at motorsportmagazine.co.uk for more information. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Hello everybody and uh, welcome to this month's Motorsport Magazine podcast which comes to you from the Goodwood Revival. We are in the Drivers Club the best place to be if we want to talk to drivers and we have one with us it's Eddie Cheever hi Eddie and thank you very much for coming along hi it's good to be here all right what are you uh, what are you driving this weekend I'm driving a BMW which I've already had my first session in what, what sort of beer an 1800 or I know it's got the steering wheel on the left hand side is it, is it an 1800 I, th- I think it might be a 2000 oh is it okay yeah. It's, cool it's quite quick enough for me, actually. But I, if, it's, if it's not an 1800, it should be a 1600. But it's a uh, the problem is that you, Jackie Oliver's out, out there in in who? a. Do you know Jackie who? Oliver? He used to be Oliver. Oliver. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, I seem yeah. to recollect something. I just it, yeah. I've got a, a momentary lapse. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, oh, what does he do? Well, he was a racing driver, a bit like you, really. You know, a long time ago. And you drove for him. And I he's also driving a beer. Yes. He's a. He's this a. Is a <laughs> and the one that's ahead of me is what you're saying. If you lead down far enough, he's on the front row and I'm on the third. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, I'm actually, I, was, I spoke to him this morning. It was good to see him. He looks very fit. <laughs> I asked if he had a new girlfriend. He said, no, I have a new wife, which is somewhat the same thing. But uh, he seems quite happy and he was having a good... He does a lot of this, Jackie. He seems to be very focused on historical racing. I guess this is a whole lot more fun than racing for arrows ever was. I, I actually... Now that I've owned race teams and I've had to deal with race car drivers, I probably owe Jackie an apology or two for all the uh, things I put him up to over the years. But I, I, I had a good time racing with Jackie. Jackie did, did everything he could to make sure we were competitive. And uh, we had some good equipment and we had some great times. And I enjoyed it. And your moments, though. I remember once interviewing you in the... Harris. In the... That's right. In, in, uh, it was in the Arrows Motorhome. Yes. And... He was the other side of a door, <laughs> yeah. or we were the other side of a door. That was a pri- Nigel, that was a private conversation. Don't do this to me publicly. <laughs> I'm not going to say what you said. No, no, but it was, there, were, there were good times and bad. That's the best way of putting it, isn't it? When you distill it all, we did a lot with what we had, and Jackie was the one that had to go out there and get the sponsorship and put it all together. So, yeah, it was, it was difficult. Formula One is a very competitive atmosphere, and it's getting even more so now, but even then, so you were always frustrated if you were 30 horsepower down, or if you didn't have a Honda, or if you didn't have a Renault, there's always something you had to have. So from Jackie's perspective, having to deal with that all the time with two drivers that wanted to do well with Derek and I, I'm sure that was um, not always a bowl of cherries for him either, but we, we did well, we had our moments. Tell me about racing here. What, I mean, what brings you to the Goodwood Revival? Uh, the first time I came here out of curiosity, because I had heard so much about it, um, and I tend to return more for nostalgic reasons than for competitive reasons. 
That doesn't mean I don't want to go fast and have the best car, which you, it's very difficult to get into. But it's just fun. I get to see a lot of friends. I, I spent years with Nigel, for example, on the Formula One tour. It's just nice to see everybody. And it's amazing how many different generations are represented here. I've, I've actually stood and watched John Surtees covered in Greece up to the gears in his hands, dirty like he just did the Paris Dakar working on a motorcycle. How many people can say that they've done that? This, this is a man that I followed when I was a kid. I, mean, I drove for Ferrari, he won the championship with Ferrari. Yeah. He came from motorcycles. I mean, and so there's just so many stories like that that you have here in cars that you've read about and people that you've seen and the circuit and Lord March. I just, it's just fun. I, I, I enjoy it. What we do like, Nigel, isn't it, is we like racing drivers who have a sense of history. Yeah, well, you, you always had a sense of history. I, 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 I thought you did. I, mean, I was lucky. I was very lucky. But it's so, it's so rare. It's, I mean, it's so uncommon to find a, you know, to find a, a driver who has any interest at all in the, you know, in the, in the heritage of the, uh, of the sport. I think I owe that to my father because he, um, he enjoyed racing and I heard a lot of it as a child. So, and I was living in Italy. I mean, in Italy there is Ferrari, then there's the Pope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were not very religious, so we spent a lot of time talking about racing and Ferrari. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. And I don't mean that. I, I, no, no, no. It's not like I meant no. that humorously. I, I, no. Italy, literally, you can, those are the passion, that in foot. Sure, so sure. And you, you did actually, you mean, at one point, you, you came close to a Ferrari drive, didn't I you? Had, I had. Somebody reminded me that today. Today I did a, an interview talking about Theodore, which is the first car I raced. Um, and it reminded me of all the stuff with Ferrari. I actually had a contract. I went to Ferrari, tested. It was a Nicky got burnt in, in Nürburgring. Remember when he almost died in Nürburgring? Y yeah, sure. But it was actually signed. So done. Done. Signed. Jeez, I received Eddie. money for it. It was done. I went to Ferrari five times. I had to go to his office five times before he would rip up the contract. And I, I had my underwear in a knot because he had the audacity to go sign somebody else after I had broken my hand. So... Uh, yes, don't, but, don't ask me questions well, about that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I well, I mean, that was when Reutemann arrived. Yes. Yeah, I was testing with Reutemann. I was there when Reutemann tested right, the, right. the Michelin tires for the first time. Right, right. I never knew it was actually... I knew... I mean, I knew... I remember yeah. you'd tested, but I didn't know you'd actually signed sign, the contract. Sign, yeah. Well, did you not go back to Enzo afterwards and say... No, no. I, I, I had a broken hand. I remember I signed a good contract. I went and raced a BMW at Vallelunga for 500,000 lira. They were lira then. How much? How and I much never got paid. <laughs> I never got paid. So my second lap, I was dating a girl in Rome and I wanted to show her that I was this very successful race car driver and I go barreling into this corner and the tire fell off and my hand got cut between the car and the asphalt. I just mangled my left hand and my shoulder. So I went from having a Ferrari contract to being in the hospital for a month. And when I got out of that, Villeneuve had signed for Ferrari, and, and I decided I didn't want to do that. I had to go race Formula One, and the next car I raced was a Theodore, which had never been tested. Or right, right. right. Well, while we're right. on the subject of Italians... We have a senator here. <laughs> I, I am a pleb. Here we have a senator. <laughs> senator Mazzario. Arturo, thank you very much for joining us. You don't speak English, but you are speaking English. Uh, okay. W w tell me about what you're racing at Goodwood this weekend. Ha detto cosa stai guidando questo weekend a Goodwood? Sì, allora sto guidando il Millino Abarth insieme a Mauro Borella, una vettura, poi glielo traduci, no? Sì. Una vettura che dove io ho, ho iniziato veramente a correre nel 1963. Uh, Arturo dice che questo weekend è uh, uh, a little uh, Fiat Abarth uh, 1000cc. 
uh, that is mine and uh, we raced together and uh, he started uh, his uh, career uh, on these uh, kind of cars and so he's very fond uh, memories with these uh, kind of little cars and he's very happy to be back uh, here with uh, with uh, a little Abbott yeah. and uh, then he's also racing uh, the Ferrari uh, ma poi digli che io con il Millino Abarth ho debuttato e ho preso il posto di Hans Hermann che lui lasciava l'Abarth dopo essere stato pilota Formula 1 Mercedes e ho preso e ho iniziato la mia carriera. Actually, he started his career when Hans Hermann, that is here, left Abarth and uh, so uh, he did come over and uh, took uh, his place uh, uh, in the Abarth Works uh, team uh, on this kind of car that is uh, racing uh, today here in Goodwood. Okay, mm -hmm. well I tell you what, if you're listening to this podcast in Italy, you're going to hear these answers twice. <laughs> Once in English, he, he does speak English, by the way. I know he does, and, and he does speak English, I by the way. So don't let him. Don't He's already spoken English to me. <laughs> yes, <sir>. Actually, <coughs> I'd, yes, I'd like true. to ask both of you a, 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 a fairly obvious question, but I think people are interested. Is that a lot of uh, Grand Prix racing fans would love to see an Italian driver drive for the Ferrari Grand Prix team, but it just doesn't seem to happen, does it? Well, Michele, I mean... You know, Michele was the no, last you mean, one. You mean, no, no, no. Arturo drove yeah. for Ferrari. Ferrari has to win championships. They have to pick the best drivers that are available. I mean, it goes... I remember when I was racing in Formula One, there was this wave of French drivers. Then the French, and then the Germans. It just depends. It often depended, depended on where Marlboro was spending the most money. The, yeah. the Swedes. Yeah, yeah. How many drivers did Marlboro produce yeah. in the countries? Yeah, that's true. Arturo, Arturo, what we're talking about is, is for the Ferrari Grand Prix team having so few Italian drivers in recent years. Dopo tu traduci, effettivamente non c'è nessuno all'altezza in questi ultimi dieci anni, purtroppo. Mentre quando ho lasciato io la Ferrari, Edi per esempio, lui era impredicato per andare alla Ferrari, lui non c'è andato per altri motivi che in pochi sanno, ma lui doveva essere pilota Ferrari prima di Michele. Nazario says that uh, uh, there is a very simple reason uh, because in the last 10 years he thinks that there is uh, no any Italian driver that can be uh, so good to, to be uh, chosen for the Ferrari team but at his time uh, in the 70s for example uh, Eddie Cheever uh, was, uh, was looked after by Ferrari to be a Ferrari uh, works driver then it didn't happen for various reasons but uh, uh, by then there were more uh, people that could uh, could drive a Ferrari and Merzario thinks that in recent years they, they choose non-Italian drivers just because there is not Italian driver that can be... Can we come back to Goodwood for a second? I just want to talk to you about driving this circuit because I know a lot of people you know, come and watch here. And I, what, just tell us about a lap because it's quick, isn't it? No, there's quick and then there's Goodwood quick. It's really quick. There's, it's an old circuit with a lot of history on it. How do you say this politically correctly? It's, there's a few places <laughs> where you would not want to go off. 
And the cars are fast. I mean, these cars at their at their era, a lot of people made mistakes. So dicendo che il circuito è molto veloce e ci, e ci sono dei punti dove quando non vuoi uscire. Spiega, quando io venivo a fare con l'Audi, con la, la Williams e BRM. Arturo tells me when he came and tested with Williams and BRM, there's a there's a sign you do in Italy where you put two hands 74. out as if you're measuring the width of your uh, midsection. My and, and, and he was saying you had to be very brave and he's touching his heart. It's, like, it, it's one of those circuits where you've really got to tighten the lower seatbelts to make sure you uh, get around it quick. There's lots of fast, lots of fast corners. But you, I can almost feel the ghost walking through all the yeah. rooms of yeah, all yeah. the drivers that e have been here. Arturo says a lot of adverse camber, okay. which is true. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. true. I, but are you, are you driving, I thought you were driving a Cobra. And I'm you driving are. a Cobra. I, have you been out in it yet? I have not. No. I, I'm, I'm laying, I'm not having wine for lunch. Wine is not on the list today. It, it, I've heard it is a handful. Have you, have you never driven one before? I've never driven one, no. Keke had wow. one, I, I've never driven Yeah, he did have one, that's right. Yeah. But you are going to need to be brave in that, aren't you? I would say that bravery always played a more important role in how I drove than intelligence, so I, I might just fit into that one. <laughs> I, I, it's fun, I like doing it. I, I raced here with a Jaguar once in the TT, and it was a, it was a handful. They're, they're, you know, we're so used to driving new cars with great brakes and perfect steering and all the yeah, tires yeah, are yeah, great yeah. suspension. These cars have defects, and that's, that's the charm of it. Yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I ask you quickly about um, racing in America before you go because um, again you know there are very few American heroes at the moment aren't there there's a lot of Brazilians a lot of English Scots of course IndyCar racing is unrecognizable isn't it the American school for drivers is completely focused on NASCAR a successful yeah. NASCAR driver can make 50 million dollars in a year it's, it's unbelievable. The, there is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aberration of nature, of how much volume they have and people that come in this segment of the population that watches it. Underneath that, a long way down the ladder, economically, is IndyCars. So when you're a young race car driver, you now aspire to race at Daytona. Yeah. The Daytona, you don't aspire to do other races other than the Indy 500. So the problem is there's no place for them to learn. So a lot of drivers that cannot make it in Formula One end up racing in, in IndyCar and they do a very good living. The, uh, Frank Keady is yeah. fabulous yeah, in yeah, IndyCar. Yeah, yeah. He's fabulous on an oval. Yeah. He's, he's typical S Scottish race car, very tidy, yeah. very quiet, very underspoken. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Eddie Cheever, Arturo Mazzario. Thank you. Uh, mille grazie, thank you very much. <laughs> well, with us, uh, joining us at the motorsport uh, table now is Nick Mason, who of course has his absolutely gorgeous Ferrari GTO here for the revival at Goodwood. Nick, um, somebody told me today that uh, when you bought this car, uh, you paid literally thousands for it, whereas now they're worth millions and millions. This is remarkable. Um, yes, I, I suppose it is really, but it, sadly I never really learnt, uh, learnt the lesson um, that, I, I mean, when I think back and think of all the other cars I was offered and turned down, I really should have um, cornered the market with old, old bangers at the time. Is, is, there, um, is there one particular that stands out in your mind as the one you missed? Oh yes, there was, um, uh, there was a point where I was offered 
a, a Bugatti Atlantique and a Zagato as a package and uh, thought that maybe it was a little bit overpriced. I can't even remember what the money was now. But well, it was um, sort of more than 40 uh, grand. But it's it? the sort of thing that, that still occasionally haunts me. Anyway, how, how long ago was that? Which, which, a long time ago. Sort of are we talking 70s, about? Late 70s, right, right. I should think. Um, I mean, no, sorry, I beg your pardon. Yeah, no, late 70s, right. yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the thing is, of course, that uh, that's interesting about it is that uh, I was considered to be a complete idiot at the time. I paid an absolute record price for a GTO. And at the time, we hadn't really seen the writing on the wall that all these cars were be going to become so valuable. And it's, it's sort of curious because they were already beginning to climb, but no one could see it as, as the sort of explosion that would, would occur later. And I have to say, the, the, with all the cars that I bought that have been, uh, been great investments, I always bought them with my heart rather than head. None of yeah. them were ever seen as an investment. They were always just cars that I really lusted after. I think, sorry, no. I was going to say, is it true also that the car, when you bought the car, it had 250 GTO? It had that. It had the plate. It had the plate already. It, uh, yes, yeah. which had been uh, produced by a, um, a, a previous owner. But the most interesting thing about for me about that was when he handed me the logbook. He also handed me the old logbook with its original registration, which was something like 4HLY. Now I then remembered that I had a picture that I'd taken as a kid well, like a teenager anyway, um, at Goodwood here, when I'd come with my dad, who was head of photographer's past, and we were at the chicane, and I'd actually found the picture. It must have been Peter, uh, who was it, who had it? Um, uh, was the, the first owner after uh, a career from oh. Conchamp, um, Peter Clark. And uh, it must have been Peter driving it in about 64, I should think. Yeah. And I recognised it immediately. I mean, I recognised the number plate from the picture that I still had that I'd taken then. We've just we've just been joined by Sir Sterling Moss, who probably wishes he'd kept all the cars he ever raced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any of them actually. But uh, there's a lot of them here, quite, or quite a few cars. What what amazes me is how many Keiths have been copied. I mean, we built one, and then I think another one was built. And now, my God, there's a fleet of them out there. <laughs> Yes. We're not mad about replicas, are we? No, exactly. No, no. no. But, then, but then, I mean, Nick's got the... I said to him once, you know, what about his birdcage? He said, which one? <laughs> and, of course, I'd, forgo I'd forgotten <laughs> that it came out. Off, isn't it? <laughs> I'd forgotten that there was a two-litre as well. You know, one doesn't think of that one. <laughs> Sterling, I've got to say, you look as pecker as ever. Uh, what's uh, the secret? That's actually a cruise for a week in the Mediterranean. Get a suntan. You could be dying, and if you've got a suntan, people say, my God, you're looking well. <laughs> I am feeling well, in all, in all truth, I'm feeling very, very well, but that was the reason for it. But you've retired, haven't you? Now? I have retired from racing, not from, not from driving and not from maybe hill climbs and stuff, but I've, I have retired from racing. You were in a Porsche, was this an RSK? At Lamar, when yeah. you, the day you decided that that's Yeah, well, it, it, extraordinary. I've, I've never had it happen before. I, no, I, no. I went round this corner and I thought, you know, if I'm going to be competitive, I'm going to be frightened. I, I, it just frightened me, not not sheer speed, but the speed of going through the corners. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to do this if I'm going to be frightened. I've never, I, I frightened myself, silly, but never, never like that. And that was enough. I mean, was it because the car, I mean, you, you were racing your Oscar. Yeah. But the RSK was obviously going to be appreciably 
quicker yeah, than that. No, was, was it suddenly getting into something faster? No, I, 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 that may have been part of it. It was just a feeling I had that if I'm going to be competitive, I've got to go quickly. And I was going as fast as I wanted to go, and it was nowhere near quick enough. Right. So I thought, that's it. Get out. Right. And you'd never ever had even a, a vague thought of that before? Not the sli- no, 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 right. never before. I mean, I've, I've, I, even when I broke my legs and my back and stuff, it, I never thought of giving up. I just wanted to get out and get on to the next race. <laughs> it's taken 40-odd yeah. years to, 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 <laughs> to make the connection. <laughs> and I think this is a fantastic little group, actually, because we've been joined by Martin Brundle, former Grand Prix driver and obviously now broadcaster. Uh, so we got two generations and also a man you know who brings these amazing cars to our events so this is this is a joyous moment martin um i got to ask you about formula one first then we'll have a word about goodwood but what a season thrilling season yes it is. It's wonderful sitting here. I'm sitting with a former teammate. People never believed that I was a teammate with Sir Sterling. I Moss. can, and Dan will pissed on me. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's bravado of use to what I put it down to. <laughs> and will drive. Agent will well, always beat youth and talent. You know that, Sterling. And my team boss of the weekend as well, <laughs> well and it, with uh, with the Ferrari. It has been a wonderful. Uh, Formula One season, we've had 13 races. I can count 11 of those that I thought were thrilling. I've yeah. been so lucky to be lead commentator yeah. this year. Uh, a couple of them I thought were a bit steady, uh, Australia and Malaysia. Valencia. Uh, uh, Malaysia had its moments, but it, it's, uh, it's been exciting. Uh, lots of arguments of whether all the goodies that help overtaking are, are pure racing or good. What I do know is that we've got the biggest audiences ever on British TV for Formula One that have been recorded. And more importantly, they peak at the beginning of the race and they're still yes, there at the end of the race. So the fans are liking yeah. it. And as I always say, if we're not doing it for the fans, let's race on a Wednesday afternoon <laughs> and have the weekends off. Now, what I am interested in is what the team boss is, what instructions has team boss Nick Mason given Martin Brundle for uh, this weekend? I've only given him one instruction so far, if he can remember it. Yes, he said, uh, Nick said to me last week when we were testing, he said, I don't want it looking like this when it, came, when it comes back. And it sat there gleaming, absolutely gleaming. I said, what do you mean? You mean you want some flies and some oil on it or something? And he said, no, I want dents and scratches on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> last year I jumped out of the way every time anybody came anywhere near me because the car is worth a few shillings. You know these rock stars, you know. <laughs> anyway. But he did say, don't roll it over <laughs> if you can help it. <laughs> You'd like to go in the GTO, Sterling, wouldn't you? Um, no, not now. Since I retired, no. I, I would have given anything for that before. Uh, Sterling has driven the car um, some, uh, a while ago now. but you That isn't the one I drove at Le Mans, though, is it? No. Because no, I, I drove one at Le Mans, I, mm-hmm. as I remember. And in fact, we were in the lead till uh, we were third overall lead of the class until 4 a.m. And then the fan blade came off because Canetti hadn't removed it, which he should have done, which was stupid. I mean, the car was so fantastic. I mean, it really is. But is it as nice to drive as a short wheelbase? Oh, I think so. Do you? Yeah. I, I mean, be interesting. You just have another drive in it sometime. Yeah. And see what you think. Well, well, I know it's going to be slower, but I mean, but the short wheelbase always struck me as such a beautifully balanced car. It's, and it, I think it's absolutely got the same balance, and that's the, the, the attraction of the car. Hello, in some ways, it's, it's a slightly more sophisticated version with a five-speed box and so on. Yeah. But I suspect yeah. the general handling is, is very similar. Yeah. Sorry about Zebedee, that's uh, M. Brundle's <laughs> telephone. Um, can you tell us, Martin, uh, what it is like to drive this car at Goodwood? You know, try and describe to us the, the lap in the, this wonderful machine. 
Well, it's a great privilege, as you can imagine, and uh, the gearbox and the engine, the, the wail of the V12, the click clack of the gearbox, the car takes off like a scolded cat. You use the steering wheel to gently point it towards the corner and then you use a throttle pedal to control the amount of turn thereafter which is not quite the sort of racing I was used to but uh, it is truly spectacular and and you know the, the reason I love coming to the revival and driving cars like that is is I don't know how often I'll have that opportunity and to go through Ford water and leave your foot planted on the floor you are you're cast, flat out at Ford water are you it will go flat out through Ford water you, you've yeah, been flat out backwards <laughs> <laughs> no really Parnell said to me both with his ass and is full water flat I said yes if you get it right he lost it <laughs> you have been through flat though yes I have been through their flat yes very interesting but uh, it, it it will do it it gets a little bit lively on the downslope the other side of it and Adrian D-Type was flat through there as well but I don't I'm always nervous there'll be some oil or something around yeah. there so you leave you leave a margin but the wonderful thing about today about, about those days uh, Sterling is there was no data acquisition so you can't have some bright young thing with a piece of graph paper <laughs> coming up to you saying, excuse me, I think you find you weren't <laughs> flat at all. <laughs> Martin, tell, I remember you telling me it was an early revival and you, I think you were in a D-type and Sterling was Sterling in the same race in an Aston. Yeah. Because did, I, I can't remember, did he pass you or...? or no, I, we, I was in Coombsy's yellow D-type Yeah. I was, basically my main job was to stop it from crashing, I felt, until it <laughs> lost a few <laughs> cylinders. And then I had this moment going into some areas. I thought Sterling was in a was in a D-type as well, and I looked across because he was coming through, and there was Sir Sterling Moss, looking straight ahead. He didn't look at me, looking straight ahead into St Mary's, and I thought it won't get any better than that. But then it did when I drove the 250 GTO last year. I went, I hadn't had a chance to test it. Went out of the assembly area, going up through the gearbox. Oh, this feels magnificent, just what I expected. Through Magwick and the air show was just finishing and through my field of vision came what I think is a Spitfire, might have been a Mustang, I wasn't really counting at the time. And I thought, it won't get any better than that. Well, maybe it will. Nowhere else in the world, eh? Fantastic. Nick, um, I must say, it's a bit of a privilege, isn't it, to have sort of these guys in your, in your cars. Um, do you, are you sort of thinking, oh, I ought to be in there, or have you retired like Sir Sterling? Um, I, d I have just sort of decided to do a bit less, certainly, and, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, no, I don't feel I should be in there. I mean, one of the great things about having um, Martin and Mark in the car is actually to see the car being driven that, you know, considerably better. I really enjoy motor racing. I've enjoyed a lot of it. But in now, uh, the sort of level of competition at Goodwood, I'd rather have the car driven properly. Sterling, um, we may, the thing about historic racing is that the, the cars that we see somewhere like the Goodwood Revival are very usable. The problem is in the future they won't be at all usable, will they? Well, well why weren't they? Well, I, I, thought, mean, I thought you had, a, had to have a laptop to start them and all this. Oh, you mean the modern cars? Oh, good God, no, we don't want that crap around. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, no, quite honestly, you, you've got a modern car doesn't compare with the beauty of the old ones. I mean, I that's what you're talking about. The old ones carrying on. Of course we will. I mean, they're going to be here. I'm sure all the cars are here. And look how many cars are here that were never built. You know, I mean, how, how many bird cages and D-types and all these other exotica actually exist now? Quite a lot, yeah. you know. Well, 
I'm sure I saw Sebastian Vettel power sliding that Red Bull through the Ascari at Monza last weekend. Yeah. That, that was a rare sight. I, I must say, I, I want to uh, speak to Martin about He seems to me head and shoulders above everybody else. Vettel. I mean, uh, I agree remarkable. With I mean, he's got a good car. We know he's got the best car. He's got a great engineer and everything else. But my God, he's, he's good, isn't he? Uh, I said at the end of the race in Monza, I think you have to start considering him a, a, alongside the greats now. Uh, I asked Nigel that over dinner that night, and he wasn't so sure. A lot of fans think that he can only race from the front, and he's not that, you know, he can't overtake. Well, that's because he's always at the front, because he's so <laughs> yeah, bloody quick in qualifying. Yeah, and there wasn't and much wrong with the way he passed Alonso on Sunday, was there? There absolutely wasn't. And um, it's, it's Vettel... As in Kettle, not Vettel, as in David Coulthard. No, we got over Hydefield, but then he retired anyway. But uh, but I love working with DC, I must add that straight away. But, 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 but Vettel, I mean, he's, he's such a funny bloke, isn't he? I mean, as a person, I have a tremendous personality. Well, none of the, he is, and he's, he's engage, an engaging young man. He's yeah. interesting, he's intelligent. You Not see that in, in any way, is he? And he's the only driver smart enough to spend social time and go on holiday with Bernie Ecclestone. Now, that is a smart move yeah, to be yeah. a successful yeah. Formula <laughs> yes, One driver. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I, w I was watching them just before the start, actually, Bernie and, um, and Sebastian. I mean, I mean, Sebastian took to Bernie, uh, Bernie took to Sebastian immediately, didn't he? He, he did, and, uh, and he, you know, Bernie's the circus master, and mm, Vettel's yeah. a great circus act, and 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 Andy's a nice kid. I just but wish I, he'd I stop jabbing the finger. That's everybody agrees about that. <laughs> Apart from him. Well, <laughs> yeah. Paul McCartney has a nasty habit of doing something similar on stage. <laughs> you know, you do, it can be forgiven one, one failing. I think. No, I'd, I'd just, uh, I'd say that it, I've really enjoyed watching it, the racing this season. I think not only with Sebastian Vettel, but actually a lot of the others have all really earned their living this year. And that's what's great. I mean, some of those races, you've seen eight, ten people truly performing yeah. and deserving the sort of money they get paid. And I think yeah. that makes um, good, you know, good television. There have been over 850 competitive on-track passes so far this season after Monza. Uh, eight lead changes in the first 18 laps in Spa. And then we saw Weber going around the outside of Alonso in Eau Rouge, which is etched in my memory. Sadly, Alonso cruised past him with DRS wide open the very next lap, which we, we don't talk so much that's about. That's right. I mean, DRS at Spa was a joke, I thought. It was like it, it was, as, as it it was in Turkey. It was optimized, I think that's as the it expression. Was, as it, it was in Turkey. I would have enjoyed the idea, but I don't know if I'd have liked to have raced with it that much. I, I'm interested in anything that improves the car, yes, from that point of view, but I think it gives an... I think it's... I don't know, without driving the thing and feeling what, what the benefit is, where the benefit can come, how I can use it and so on, I wouldn't like to give an opinion. But uh, it's obviously a uh, bit of clever gear. Damon Hill said that uh, he wouldn't want to overtake and then someone comes straight back past him with a flappy wing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I re hold my judgment till I've tried something. I do think Kurs is the most important thing, though, because I personally believe that every car in the world is likely to have Kurs in 10 years' time because you're getting something for nothing. And I think that motor racing is the place to test it and it's doing the right job and, and uh, you know, they're finding out different things. And I think it's a fantastic idea. Okay, thank you very much, all of you, thank you.
Joining us now is Rauno Altonen, who I hope doesn't need any introduction, but I mean one of the true greats of uh, rally driving. But today, Rauno, you're out on the circuit, obviously, and uh, your ears are ringing. Why? Well, you see, uh, 40 years professional career in motorsport, not wearing earplugs of often enough means that my ears are a bit sensitive. I can't go to a disco, for instance. <laughs> But I love it hearing, you know, a powerful engine. And now I were using, uh, was using earplugs, so I'm all right. It was great two training sessions this morning. Tell us what you're racing at uh, this year's Goodwood Revival. I will be driving in the St. Mary's Trophy with a 1300 Mini from 1964. It, this is uh, Richard Longman's old famous famous Mini but obviously it has many engines since then and uh, anyway I had uh, had to have this pleasure to drive this car and it went very smoothly maybe we could have a little bit more power but which racing driver doesn't say that you know <laughs> you have to find an excuse at least then I've been driving um, uh, a Jaguar E-Type that uh, is again a different world. It's a little bit more powerful and uh, faster, of course. Rear wheel drive a bit more sideways. So that's a different world, but I love it. I like going sideways is as this, well. Is it the first time you've, you've, you've driven, the, uh, driven a, a racing E-Type? No, no, I've been driving last time two years ago. Oh, we were in E-Type here? Yes, oh, I've been running me, here. Uh, but the thing is, that's two years. and. In two years you do forget certain things, so it, it's wiser to build up the speed and not just take, you know, a, a rubber straight away and, and make some silly spins, no, so no, 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 sure. lap times were not as good as, as I expected, but uh, they will improve. I, I would imagine, I may be wrong, but a man who's prepared to drive flat out through a forest in the middle of the night, uh, a few laps of Goodwood is no big deal, is it? The word no big deal is it may be a little bit soft expression <laughs> because the point is here, same as in the rally, between the trees, we are fighting for hundredth of a second, which means that any time you turn the steering wheel one inch too much, that means, oh, again, okay, 0.001 second was gone. So it is an immense concentration to have your smooth lines still maintaining a nice drift because a tire does not make any side force without having this so-called slip angle which looks like the drift for the whole car so this is this balance between the nice purposeful drift not too much working with the steering and keeping keeping your right foot reasonably flat on the floor where does the where, where are you flat for most of the lap in the mini yes we yes. are we are yes really yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a matter of keeping the rhythm around the lap, yes? That's right, because you, although my, my right foot is flat on the floor, every time I turn the steering wheel, the revs drop. <laughs> and and uh, it means that it's vital in these relatively low-powered cars to have a smooth line and especially come out of the bend without a drift. This is vital. That's is costing money for the whole length of a straight. Do you, do you, is this a track you, you, you like, you enjoy? Uh, well, if you think about a rally, 
a special stage yeah, which yeah. has every 50 meters a corner and trees are so that you are touching them maybe slightly but hopefully only with rear bumper which doesn't matter <laughs> so here in in, in Goodwood it is you know vast area beautiful big green fields but the speeds are so high that uh, I know this from experience once you leave the tarmac you have a feeling that you have just lightened a rocket and you're accelerating when you get onto yeah. the grass and it appears to go forever so even the big areas of grass don't guarantee that you are not going to hit the wall Please tell me uh, what you think about modern World Rally Championship because we don't see the, those wonderful, really powerful turbocharged rear wheel cars, you know, stones flying sideways. What's your take on the modern? Well, first of all, I feel sorry for the public spectators because the Group B cars, they were lovely to look at and they were lovely to drive. I love them more. but. Uh, development must go ahead. Today's world for this kind of car, it is four-wheel drive. And now the question is that as all makes will have to have this one type four-wheel drive transmission and uh, uh, you don't have a center differential, uh, you have mechanical limited slips, front axle, rear axle, which means that it takes a lot of skill and experience and testing to adjust the uh, limited slip differential so that the car is in balance and of course suspension it requires a lot of working to make the car to be in balance but as somebody said to me that the modern rally cars they are really to drive because when you would like to turn it they go straight and when you want to go straight they spin but i mean this makes it sport <coughs> doesn't it so i think it's not a bad thing nigel i know that you're a huge fan of sebastian Loeb, aren't you i mean I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Loeb's, but I, i'm i'm um I'm a bit mystified about what's been going on this year in, the, in, in that team. I mean, at one time it looked, seemed as though Ogier was being favoured, and now it seems to have swung back again, and now people are talking about, well, is Ogier going to leave? Uh, there does seem to have been sort of quite a lot of gamesmanship at that in uh, Citroën this, this Well, year. you see, <coughs> the moment we uh, deal with human beings, if we uh, would like to exclude emotions, it would be boring. Oh. Yeah, and so I agree. so it, it is all about emotions, yeah, and yeah. and you get the, the driver gets his adrenaline up when he wants to win, and sure. if he's told you can't win, you're not allowed to win, then you better go and eat sandwiches. Did you did you ex have the experience of that in your in your rally career? Were, were there times when when you were uh, asked to? I wasn't asked, I was told. told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, well, I accepted, you know, if I had made an agreement and I signed it, and the team manager is the boss, so he has all the rights to say that. I'm not bitter about that, but I am bitter because he didn't pay my uh, share of the price money as promised. Ah. I mean, this is ah. nasty. Yes, yes, yes. Did that, did that just happen once? or, or uh, It happened very often, you know. Very often. Well, but you know, I get used to it, and that's part of it difficult though I mean if being as competitive as you were no you see but there are other competitive people and uh, it depends who has points at the moment in championships yeah. so yeah. I, I fully accept if you're a professional to do that yeah. but if something is promised people should keep the words yes 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 but I think absolutely. it's not only in a motorsport where the words are not being kept in no, today's that's world true yeah. Um, yeah. Rano, uh, before you go I must ask you what what do you think was your your greatest victory okay i know you had so many of them but what's the one 
you really felt that was a brilliant drive. Well, people don't know about this victory. It is a Spa Sofia Liège, 1964 in the Healy 3000. Uh, that is my personally biggest victory because that was really long and really tough. Yeah. No special stage. It was like you know today these cannonball races. Yes. Full yes. speed, open roads, meeting trucks and lorries opposite way. Quite interesting. And then a serious car too. Oh yes, a quick, quick car. Quick car. Quick car. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when to get an idea about the power we had, the rear wheels on dirt roads would last the tires. 160 kilometers and then there would be nothing else but canvas left no rubber really really that those were the days <laughs> that that was great fun yeah 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 thank absolutely. you rano altman fantastic thank you so much thank you great thank you rano are you uh, I, I guess you you do podcast yeah you're you're, do do? you're pretty technical aren't you with the computers and the not at all no clue <laughs> i remember you 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 once told me Gerhard, uh, 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 when i asked you if you'd like to drive a modern formula one car you told me that actually you have to get your daughter to turn your television on for you yeah but what is true absolutely true it's uh, still the same <laughs> it's just, uh, still the same and I uh, actually I don't want to know how you turn it on and off because otherwise I just have to do it I like to lay down and <laughs> get the job done by somebody others so you, you can't operate a DVD player or anything like that then, well it's just a very simple one <laughs> that's why I'm that's why I'm racing in Goodwood because these cars where you still have a steering wheel a throttle and a brake anyway I'm sorry we should have introduced Gerhard Berger uh, sorry former Grand Prix driver obviously famously with Ferrari and McLaren and many other things hey, and in fact <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not talking to the media I do not want to talk to the media no, we know this as you you may have gathered everybody that we've also been joined by Sir Jackie Stewart so now we have uh, two wonderful Grand Prix drivers with us Nigel Rob has asked me to, to get you to tell the story about Jean Tot's Alpha all what I remember is that it, it was a lunch here, not a well, well, you, but you, but you came into the car park, didn't you? Well, let me think, it's so long time ago. I have a little bit of Alzheimer's, so you, it's a bit difficult. Oh, Dot had the back to, uh, a lunch here. Do you know the story, Jackie? What? You, do you know, know the, the story? story? Yeah. No. So we went lunch in Maranello. Uh, we had just the first time the Formula 1 car out for this season, Sean Lazy and me. And everything was very nervous because new season just started, brand new car, mechanics was just putting everything together. We went to lunch, we came back. And we've been in front of the office of Sean Dot, and we didn't have a car to go over to the racetrack. And I said to Sean, look, there is a car. And look, there is a key on. Let's take the car. That was a lancia. So we driven, and you know, in Maranello, you have to go outside, and then you come in and again in the track. No, and I don't, I don't know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway, Sean driven the car like an idiot. I was working on the handbrake. And just when we came close to the new Formula One car, Somehow the car got a strange movement on the handbrake and we start to roll it and we just one meter away from the new <laughs> new Formula One on the roof <laughs> We just crashed into the barrier you know. <laughs> So the mechanic took them ten minutes to get us out of the car, you know the, and Totally the irresponsible <laughs> racing driver. Yeah, I mean this is what That's we're why we dealing drive with for you, sure, I mean, you would never damn, take us. He would never have driven <laughs> at Stuart Grand Prix yeah. behaving like that uh, never no. anything. Never can heard of anything so ridiculous. Can how, how told me once he, were, he, he he's looking for me, but the only way that I could drive for him is if I if I start to use a tie. Yeah. yeah. 
and, and, and for the listeners, actually, Berger's never owned a tie in his life and doesn't know how to do it. He did wear one at the wedding of Prince Albert, but he got somebody else to tie it for him. Is that Absolutely a fact? true. It's a fact. Yeah. That is true, is it? It's, it's a bit like the video recorder. <laughs> don't know to put it on. So, Jackie, I have I, some print tips. <laughs> now, I mean, this sort of thing never went on at Turo, I would imagine. Tyrrell's uh, team, no, there was no nonsense like that. I did roll a car once at Kailami, uh, a passenger car, and we were coming back from dinner, and we went into a polo field in a Volkswagen, and I did the handbrake job, and the damn thing, it went forward, and then the t- wheels turned inwards, and the damn thing rolled over. And the young lady that was sitting in the passenger seat, I ended up on top of her. <laughs> And I said, my God, for five years I've been dreaming about this. Jackie, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so happy that you told this because I don't never tell uh, the movement of my car because it was exactly the same. It rolled over the front wheel, you know. I, it was so strange and we had no seatbelts on, so we end up nose on nose with Sean Lacey. But you know what was funny also was funny? They have, as a rule, uh, an ambulance car has to be on Maranello. Always stand by when the cars goes out. So the ambulance car with a running engine been there for the Formula One car. And 25 years they never had a work. That was the first time they had finally a crash. So the ambulance came and took Sean Lacey to the hospital. <laughs> that was the first time that we had some something to do. Um, what, what do you both think about Jean's plans to do, maybe to do indie? <laughs> I told him, Jean, why do you want to do indie? You, you, your strength in Formula One was always late breaking and terrain. In indie we don't have late breaking, we don't have rain. So why would you like to do this? What do you think? Well, I think he's a brave man. Um, I mean, I don't know what age Jean is right now. 47. Well, he, that's quite young in, for in Indianapolis. <laughs> Looking <I> 70. Mean, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, it's a scary place. I mean, I loved the race I did there. The only race I did properly there, I did it twice, actually. And I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. And I had a fantastic race that went on for three or four hundred miles. And the manners were very good. I mean, people like Parnelli Jones was t- fantastic to see, so smooth. You talk about who's smooth and who's ragged. Parnelli Jones was as smooth as silk. And I had a great Roger McCluskey, I think it was. I had a great, we must have passed, I don't know, 30, 40 times. But you slipstreamed, you knew when to pass, he was intelligent, I was trying to be intelligent, and you always, there was no drama. But it's not as boring as people think. But it is dangerous if you get out of line because you're talking about concrete walls. At 200 miles an hour. I, I, I like that finally gives me a reason to go because if Sean Alesi is doing Indianapolis, I, I never seen it, I never been there. That, that's a reason why to go there. And I love Sean. I would wish he doesn't do it because he, I hope he doesn't hurt himself at, at this stage. But if he likes to do it, I'm going to be his biggest fan there. Yeah, you could be the right man there for giving him advice and so forth. And keeping all these American girls away from yeah. him. And you, yeah. you could handle yeah. that very yeah. well. You, you're an expert <laughs> in that area. Jackie, while we're on the subject of comebacks, if we can call uh, Jean Alesi's a comeback, um, can, I, can I just ask you to briefly tell us what you have thought and seen about of Michael Schumacher this Formula One season? Well I think of the last race that Michael drove, he drove extremely well. 
I mean, uh, you couldn't have done better than he did to keep Lewis Hamilton behind him for that number of laps. I mean, I, I, he was blocking, and he was blocking like Michael Schumacher knows how to block. I mean, I thought it went on a little too long, the blocking, and he might have been penalised more heavily for it, but he actually drove a good race. The only problem I have with him is that I think he retired probably two years too early because he, he was lost out of the cockpit. He didn't enjoy his retirement at all. I mean, to have to go and drive motorcycles, race motorcycles, to get the buzz going again, it just doesn't work for me, a man of that quality. And I think had he raced two more years, he would have wanted to retire, really wanted. Because I think I told Nigel not too long ago that I nearly retired two years before I did. I nearly retired one year before I did. But when I retired, it was absolutely the right decision. I think my only criticism of Michael, and it's not his fault, timing's everything in life, and I think he retired too early. Gerhard, do you think you retired too late or too early? I don't agree with Jackie. I have a different opinion. I think Michael did a fantastic job in his career, seven-time world champion, most anybody ever did. He gave us a lot of pleasure watching him in the races. He committed 150% year by year, and now he still would like to do racing. He still enjoys it. He wants to go in a racing car. He, he has fun on it, and teams still want him, and he's still doing a good job. I mean, yeah, he's not anymore on the level of Sebastian Vettel, Hamilton, Rosberg, of the young ones, but straight away behind, it's him. So as long teams want him, as long he likes to do it, I think he should have the pleasure to do it. But see, but Gerhard, Nick, what Nicky says is, but you don't do Formula One for fun. Why you do Formula One? Not Formula One. You maybe do touring cars, but not Formula One. It's not true. I mean, if you have no fun in racing, you don't do anything good. I mean, I find it completely wrong. I mean, Formula One, every racing you go in, every job you're doing, you have to do for fun if you want to be really good. You have to enjoy it. And I mean, it's the market. Uh, if, if he's not good enough, nobody would take him. But he's still good enough. People still want him. He wants to do it. So why should we do the decision for him? It's, it's his life. So, Jackie, I think... I know you have very little time. Why are so you dying? <laughs> <laughs> he's, always, he's always been a very funny man. <laughs> he's taken more out of himself in his life than I ever took out of myself in my life. They, they do say, never work with children, animals or Gerhard Berger. <laughs> well, the trouble with the Gerhard Berger factor is that he normally has such an entourage of really attractive women after him. That's one of the biggest problems with Gerhard. Jackie, can you be a little bit more discreet? <laughs> <laughs> Too late, Gerhard. Too late. Too late. <laughs> anyway, so Jackie, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, you're in the one manual Fanjo tribute. Yes, I'm driving his wonderful 250F lightweight Maserati that he won the great 1957 German Grand Prix round the real Nürburgring and he was 30 seconds behind at the start of the last lap and beat Hawthorne and Collins in that very car and I think I know how he did it the accelerator pedals in the middle and I think he thought he was pressing the brake pedal most of the time but he was in fact pressing the accelerator pedal <laughs> I can't think of another reason that he would make up that much time We'll remember it tomorrow. Thank you very much, Sir Jackie. Thank you. We're joined by. Carry on, Gerhard. I'm hungry. You're hungry? Okay, go. Okay. Mr. Berger, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you both.
Tom Christensen, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a busy day for you as well, like like all these guys. But um, why why is a why is an eight times Le Mans winner racing at the Goodwood Revival? Yeah, I don't know. I guess you have to ask. Uh, I, I mean, particularly Lord Marsh. He he invited me uh, last year at the Geneva Auto Salon. Uh, we were at the dinner table, and I've I've he have mentioned a few times. Uh, I should come to the revival as well, and I will assert a revival means old, so maybe I shouldn't go there. Um, but then, um, being here and accepting last year, I was overwhelmed by the first uh, moment. I've seen pictures from here, I've heard a little bit, but you know, when you're here and you see that everyone is dressed up, everyone is a part of the act, everyone have put a lot of effort and thinking into how they want to, to look. Look at you guys. I mean, you look fantastic in your, in your outfit. I'm sure you don't wear this in, 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 the, in, in, in your daily life uh, and modern, modern, modern time. And I think that is, that is what is, uh, is very unique about it. You see everyone feels a part of it. You see modern racing, uh, you come to a race meeting and it's a little bit like they are there to see the show or to be a, uh, see the race, but maybe sometimes they can have a bad day here everyone have a good day you last year you had a truly fantastic race just tell us a little bit about it because it was i'll never forget it i i i happened to drive this uh, very beautiful austin westminster which in the beginning i thought that when they pointed at it that they pointed at the car was uh, which was behind it because it it absolutely doesn't look like a race car does it I mean, I thought it was a London taxi which was parked wrongly, but then they kindly had put my name on the side of it, so I thought, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but to be honest, that six-cylinder, straight six, it had uh, very good power. And uh, the handling was quite good for the first three, four laps. Then the tires really started to go off. So, but this, uh, this, uh, the owner told me, he told me about that. He said, Tom, it's important that you do the lap times quite early. It's important and in the race that actually we, we started, uh, started on the front row. I don't remember where, but on the front row, it was a fantastic race with Patrick Watts in a Volvo Amazon. He was all over me for a lot of times and we had a... <laughs> A great fight, and we had to use the grass a little bit, but it was all we never we never touched. The only thing we are doing the race, uh, I was touched by a little small mosquito late in the race when my tires were really going down, and uh, I realized after that it was then it was this Austin with uh, Martin Brundle, who um, yeah he could so easily have won the race if he just was a little bit more um, what do you call it? a little bit calm at the situation we just he just touched me a little bit and that was enough to have a puncture but yeah to be first on over the line was maybe not um, uh, something uh, nobody expected certainly not me and uh, a bit of luck <laughs> uh, was in it but it was the respect of the of the historic uh, racing and that fi people and cars are fragile but um, it was a lovely lovely uh, lovely time and and since then I like to be here so Tom what, what are you in this year I'm in a Lotus Quartina <coughs> British heritage um, uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic little car. It handles uh, okay. Now we are in the 60s of the touring cars, and I can feel already a big difference from the 56 uh, Austin Westminster. Now you are eight years longer down the road, and now you certainly have a, a handling car. You have the suspension, which is uh, is working. There's still a lot of body roll. There's not still not so much power, but you have a car which is much much better balanced. And then later, which 
uh, is I will be out in the AC Cobra, the Shelby yeah, yeah, Daytona, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the in the yeah. TT race. Yeah. So for sure, I will not uh, ask for more power in that car. <laughs> have you have you driven that yet? Yes, I yeah. just done um, a few uh, a few laps um, with the um, with the with the car here uh, last week. A 15 minute session. And what did you? What were your first impressions? The first impression is uh, your eyes get really really big. <laughs> you are. Uh, your right foot gets really really you know you get all the feelings go down in the right foot because i mean basically the car understeers if you go into a corner and you turn it understeers until you hit the throttle if you hit the throttle it oversteers unbelievable <laughs> it oversteers so you have to find sort of an in-betweener but then at the same time when then the leaf springs kick in or the whole chassis of the aluminium chassis you you sort of have always to think uh, two steps ahead and uh, that is what is uh, it's it's a car which you, I believe nobody ever can fall asleep in because you're you're constantly reminded that uh, it breaks a bit out of balance I, I, I was at Silverstone last weekend watching the Autosport six hours and you've moved planets haven't you in the space of the last few days it's you're on a diff you're on a it's a different world completely different world in every way it is, and um, but but I have to be say. I mean, I'm here. We speak now a lot about the cars, but I think Goodwood is more about the cars. But in the cars itself, of course, the prototypes we drive today, ultra lightweight as we call them at Audi, they are 18, small six-cylinder engine, single turbo, uh, electronic gearbox, uh, LED lights. All is done to save weight and still getting a very very good performance. And uh, what you can do today in, in terms of this, the gravity, the center of gravity, the, the, the way you build the, the, the carbon chassis, I mean it's such a long way uh, and uh, then to go back here. But I'm here basically for the whole, ev for the whole event to be here and I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's really important. Uh, that the whole thing is just taking uh, overwhelming uh, to be here. To be still uh, younger than the times is here, 50s and 60s. It's 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 a chance of, for me to see how uh, my dad's uh, generation yeah, behaved yeah, or yeah, was or yeah. or what they drove. I have my dad here this uh, oh, this really? year, yeah. and uh, yeah, I brought him here and I haven't seen him since. But um, <laughs> he was a racing driver and he's uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's walking around. But just to uh, to see that and experience that together. That's oh, a wonderful. That's lovely. Um, yeah. Just, just finally, Tom, c can I ask you? I think, I mean, I, I have to ask you uh, about Audi at the moment because at Silverstone, Alan touched another car. It happened at Le Mans. Can you, can you give us some insight into why this is such a big problem when you're when you're in a Peugeot or an Audi? Because you're, you're again, you're in a different league from the other cars. Yeah, no, but basically the competition is uh, competition, of course, bites, and that means that uh, when Audi this year or sister car win Le Mans by 18.852 seconds over 24 hours, then you can understand if you just um, uh, hesitate behind 10 cars, I mean, or hesitate a little bit too much, yeah, all right, then Peugeot might win. So if you if you get this, then we have to be relatively fast, and there's a lot of trust between drivers but there are different different mentalities they are driving their race the GT race is incredibly competitive too so they they also also wants to have the corners they have slowed the down the the prototypes the 
on the straights. We have, as I say, downsizing six-cylinder engine. So on the straights, we are not really moving places a lot, but we are so much faster in the corners, in the braking areas and in the corners. And obviously, this this is creating something that you just can't just wait and then accelerate out or accelerate people through. So this is um, that's exactly a, a, a very um, very important subject, and. The visibility in our car, due to the regulation, is um, is you don't build a car which is slower to get more visibility. And with the with the way it is, the wheel arches and the narrow cockpits, we have bad visibility. I, I, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, I, I, when I was having a close look at the car, I just wondered after all those years of driving open Audi sports cars, yeah. it looks extraordinarily claustrophobic. I mean, the first time you drove it, did you sort of think, I'm not sure if I like this, or did you just, did it not bother you at all? No, it does, because you don't see the apex in, in, uh, right, in 90 degree hairpins or right corners. Uh, you, you see where you brake, you see the turn in, but then it disappears. You can't see where you're going. Mm. So that, 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 that's bad. But I mean, on, on the other hand, you would say, would you make the A-pillar smaller? In a case you have a, fa fa a bad crash, but do you you know there's things. I mean, f for me, it, we can we can optimize things like that in the long term. But do you have a preference for? Would you rather be in an open car or or, or in the? Actually, it, it, uh, I like to be in a coupe. I drove the you Bentley, do. the 2003 yeah. Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the regulation have changed a little bit over, and you know the everything is optimized obviously to have. Uh, very uh, aerodynamically and performant car. In the Bentley, the wheel largest, I was sitting higher, everything was uh, was better visibility by far. In a closed car, I like that. You are, It's certainly nice. Sure. Open car, really, when you speak about this, the, the, the racing, when you go to the shorter races, mm -hmm. an open car, you have, of course, much better feeling and visibility. Yeah. And uh, yes, in that sense, the Peugeot, in a way, they have done quite a lot of years in, in, in the closed car. Maybe there's a small advantage there, but I mean the two mentioned things you mentioned is um, is of course is, is misunderstandings and visibility both forward and backwards in, in 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 the modern racing we have today. Thank you very very much, Tom Christensen. Thank you. Well, these drivers are coming thick and fast to the motorsport table. Uh, we're very lucky, and uh, we have with us Andy Prio. Thank you, Andy. For uh, I don't know if you've had to stop eating your lunch. Probably not. No, no, no. I've been uh, having a great lunch, nice relaxed time with Nick Manassian and talking with Marino Franchitti and bumping into all sorts of faces from past and present of motorsport. It's been fantastic. I had a, I'm having a great time. I was watching you this morning in the St Mary's practice, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't remember how many times this guy's won touring car titles. I just can't remember off the top of my head. But there you are, out there, you know, on a, on a, a different planet. Why, why are you doing it? Oh, it's just a lovely event. It's just lovely to be part of the history of um, British motorsport. Uh, I mean, I'm time warped now going back into the 1940s and I'm a keen... Well, I've, I've obviously loved Spitfires and, you know, that era of... Uh, of motor racing as well and it's just um, a wonderful experience uh, my family arriving tomorrow evening and um, you know we're just gonna have a great time and I mean in a lot of ways I well I did start off in motor racing grassroots style in Shelsley Walsh and hill climbing and this is what it felt like so it's nice to get a bit of uh, reality every now and again maybe maybe you should just remind us how many touring car titles you have won actually <laughs> well I've won um, three world titles in touring car a European title 
uh, in touring car. And then, of course, um, Spider. I won a title in the British Hill Climb Championship. So I think that's six titles, and I need a few more to keep going. <laughs> have you driven the DTM car yet? I have, yes. I've driven a... And, well... Yeah, tell us what it's what it was like. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's back to my single seater days. Um, it's it's got a lot of downforce. Um, it's got carbon brakes, so they work really well. And you have to be really, really 100% committed in the car to to do a lap time. That's the same in all motorsport. But you can't have a slightly off lap in this car. It's um, it's really lovely to drive, though. It's BMW are very committed to this program. It's it's nice for me to be part of their number one program. I've spent so many years, you know. Obviously, their main program was Formula One, and uh, we were sort yeah. of point one percent of the rest of it. So yeah. it's yeah, nice yeah. to be part of that program. And yeah. Now this is it. Yeah. This, this is, the, is it. Yeah. 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 Sure. Absolutely. How, how many BM, How many cars will there be next year? Well, how, how, be many, how many BMWs will be in the? Yeah, there'll be at least, well, there will be six BMWs. Is there three a minimum teams. requirement for entry to the championship? I, was, I, I believe so. I think yeah. six is the minimum. But yeah. we hear now that Merck and Audi may run more cars. Oh, so, right. uh, yeah, it's already started. The politics have already started. But to be honest, you know, um, six cars with three manufacturers isn't enough. We need a few more. We need to have at least, I think, 23, 24 cars on the grid to, <coughs> to make it really look good. Mm. I mean, I watched at Brands two weeks ago, and it's a great formula. It's fast. The cars are really, really cool quick the drivers are good they're all high level and you know they're all manufactured teams you, you can't really buy a drive in DTM and no. in a lot of ways that's what's nice about it because you the quality's there so what's always fascinated me is that it's it's I mean it seems to be extremely um, specialized I suppose I mean the, because a number of Formula One drivers at the end of their careers have, have gone back to DTM and I know Hackenham won a race or two but yeah. Don't sort of set the world on fire, do they? We've seen that a lot in touring car racing. Yeah, um, it, it's it, true. I, it's hard. Um, it's tough racing. Um, and you know, if you made Formula One, you're obviously a, a class act. But it, it's not easy to switch from what you know yeah. and, and do well, and especially at this level. I mean, I watched David Coulthard drive at Brands, and he's driving really well. You, if you saw him on his own, you think that guy's really quick, he's really Absolutely. committed. And, you know, and he's qualifying towards the back end of the grid. Um, also, I suppose, you know, in, in DC's case, he's obviously not in a brand new car. Um, no. But it, no. it's, it takes, I think, there's not many Formula One drivers who've come in and, and really succeeded at this level. So no. I think you need to commit <coughs> to one or the other. Uh, yeah. You can't do a bit of both. It's yeah. tough now with all with all the championships. Even you know going to V8 supercars in in Australia and going to World Touring Car. It's all specialist, and everyone's pretty good sure. now. Sure. Yeah. Andy, can I ask you about uh, uh, modern touring car racing? Uh, the cars are incredibly efficient, by which I mean you know they don't slide around a lot. They, uh, personally, I don't think it's you know I, I'm sure in the car it's a hell of a spectacle, um, but. You, in some ways, do you wish that you know you had been out in stuff like your your driving here at Goodwood? I, I must say that I think my driving style would suit these type of cars because they're they're very forgiving, and um, a modern race car is very peaky, yeah. and uh, you have to drive to the peak and a little bit over, but not too far. Yeah. Otherwise, and as you say, from the outside, it doesn't look like the car's really doing a lot, but on the inside, it's it's all happening. And yeah. you know the smallest little mistake, a little lock-up or a little downshift that's at the wrong point costs you a tenth, <coughs> and that's the difference. At Brands Hatch, two tenths was the difference between first and 15th or 16th on the grid. So it's, yeah. Unfortunately, you have to be very, you have to be very clinical and very boring. 
to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're not boring, so that's okay. Um, I've rarely spoken to, I mean, I've spoken to people about the DCM briefly, but I, I don't know many people who've uh, sort of experienced it. And I'm just fascinated by the... Uh, uh, I remember Hackenden saying to me, you know, in, in many ways it's, it's much more difficult to drive than a, than a Formula One car was. Well, I, I've had and my taste of Formula One, driving yeah, and testing and stuff, I and I wouldn't say Formula One is easy by any, you know, it's, it's a tough formula and, yeah, I mean, to win in Formula One you have to be class act, but no, no, no better than what it takes to win in, uh, in touring car. No, um, no, no. And, yeah, I mean, it's just the fact that Formula One is the... Uh, let's say the pinnacle of motorsport it's the most marketable formula you become a global phenomenon overnight yeah. but there's some seriously good drivers in DTM and in other formulas yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we've had some uh, global phenomenons on this program I think it's great BMW are in it I'm looking, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it absolutely yeah. me too it's yeah, great yeah. I'm really yeah. happy yeah. you yeah. may not escape immediately actually because we've been joined by Emanuele Piro who uh, is also racing here at the Goodwood Revival hi Emanuele Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, My uh, pleasure. You're a man who knows a thing or two about driving a touring car as well, actually. Uh, yes, it happened that I've been driving touring cars on a few occasions in my career in the last 25 years. And actually, funny enough, um, uh, just um, a month ago I was doing an historic Grand Prix in Copenhagen and I drove um, a BMW 202TII, the car, yes, exactly, the car that Andy drove last year. And talking about historic cars, this was the most modern historic car that I ever drove. And it was close to the cars that I actually started with because my first saloon car races were with a 635 BMW, which was a really an icon. And so I really enjoyed pushing the car and then driving like, like the good old days that I actually witnessed. What he didn't tell you is he won in it as well. So we both won the historic yeah. Copenhagen Grand Prix, which didn't please Tom Christensen too much. No, I bet it didn't. I've always wanted to go there because it's such a lovely city and uh, I'd love to see the event too. Manueli, I've got to ask you uh, a good question first of all, which is when you won the TT, you did the most amazing victory lap. I mean, that victory lap, I have never not seen anything better before or since. Uh, would you just like to explain to us why that occurred? Well, there's, um, there's a background story. Uh, first, I am, uh, those who know me, they know already, you know, I'm a, I'm a joyful person. I'm somebody who, who enjoys what he's doing and I, I try to share it with other people. Um, first time I was hanging out of my car was uh, when I won the Nürburgring 24 hours in 1986. And uh, since then, I actually uh, tried to do it just because, you know, you want to share the joy with other people. And in Le Mans, uh, first time you won it, I did uh, step out a little bit out of the, you know, the R8, which was an open car. So I stood up a little bit. I grabbed the flag. I did the, 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 the last race lap at a very, very slow pace. And, um, and this, you know, cheering everybody. And this was a, an amazing moment. The second year... <coughs> We won again, and I, I was in the car at the at the last stint. So I did again, and I stepped out a little more, and um, <laughs> and in fact there was um, a little uh, gadget 
that was given by my my sons. We had um, they gave me two um, uh, vacuum uh, tiger ears that you could stick um, uh, suction plate uh, tiger ears to stick on the helmet. And you know they were kids back then. They said, Dad, if you wear them, you're gonna win. Of course, you can't stick a tiger ear at 300 and you know 220 miles per hour. But in the last stint, I put them in the pocket and actually few hundred yards before uh, start and finish I, I, I stuck him in the, in the helmet and I crossed the line with these two tiger years which you know all they were very proud to show the photos to their to their little school friends <laughs> the third year in Le Mans um, we won again by you know matter of luck and then I actually stood in on the car like uh, standing the whole body outside and this was a little bit too much for the organizers so they gave me a hard time Okay. And uh, they told me not anymore. But later on, uh, in front of a nice glass of red wine, the French uh, people from ACO, which was not the first glass of wine, they told me, you know what, in those days we had to give you a hard time, but we thought it was brilliant, so, you know, it was okay. Then, <coughs> uh, later on, when we were about to win for the first time the, with the diesel car, um, the Audi people, they said, you know, we give you the pleasure to go in the car for the for the last uh, stint because it, it's it's a honor to cross the finish line and it, it, it's a fantastic feeling. And they said, but at one condition, you have to swear that you don't do any silly thing because I had another one, another plan, which was even more extreme that I never told anybody and I will <laughs> never do, um, uh, to step to do something even even more extreme. So I had to swear and I couldn't do anything. Then Goodwood came and you know, because there's such a good feeling with the people, the, the, the spectators here are big part of the whole show. It's, we share the same passion, we're here for the same reasons. I would like to meet them all and, and you know, I talk to all of them because we share the same passion. So I was so happy and just at a very, very slow speed, I removed the helmet, undone the, the belt and, and just uh, stepped out of the car and, and <laughs> was, I was cheering everybody and, and greeting and, you know, it was really, really nice. Then, stop and start and finish, uh, Lord March thought this is good, grab uh, Dario Franchitti, my teammate, and do another parade lap like this, so one each side of the car. We do have actually some nice photos, yeah, it's really yeah. nice. Yeah, and apparently <laughs> everybody liked it, yeah. apart from the stewards. So, uh, I was uh, called by the stewards, and I thought, what did I do wrong? Normally I'm quite a, a fair driver, so it didn't happen very often that I went to see the stewards, and I thought, I really didn't do anything wrong. So I went there politely, hello, um, I'm Manuel Piero, um, what, what can I do for you? Uh, and he said, they said, pointing the finger at me, you broke all the rules. Uh, then I thought, they got the wrong guy, and I said, you know, I was driving car number XX, and my name is Piero, I said, we know. And then he said, you broke all the rules, you endangered your life and uh, everybody else's life. And I thought, I'm in candid camera. I must be in candid <laughs> camera. <laughs> but this was not a joke. This was true. So apparently, it, it is a little bit against the rules to unbuckle yourself. But the speed was so, so low. And to cut the story short, I felt quite bad because the, 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 the reason of the gesture was not uh, really understood by, yeah, by the right. stewards who yeah, have yeah. to do their job, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I went uh, back to my car owner, Bernie Carl, and he actually, uh, I was fine, I was fine, 200, uh, 2,500 pounds. Were you? Yes. 
2,500 pounds. So Bernie Carl, he, he, he couldn't believe, but he, he's a lawyer and he's, he's a very smart man. So what he did, and I still have it, he wrote a letter saying that uh, this is a shame that motor racing is going for a, you know towards being bored people are not drivers are not longer a character, character don't have charisma yeah. and so on and so forth really in a nice way yeah. and and what Emanuele Piro did it should be prized because he's one of the few guys who could blah 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 I don't want to say too much about me but and and they said so it basically shame on you because you should reward these people yeah. but to cut the story short we completely disagree and I include a 5,000 pound check because next year we'll be doing it again so I pay in <laughs> advance and this was a really really fantastic gesture he really sent a check and Lord March at the driver's briefing this year he mentioned and it's been just just really hilarious Actually, just, it just occurs to me speaking of stewards you um, are, you were the, the F1 advisor driver advisor at Abu Dhabi last year did you what was it like as an experience did you enjoy it oh yes you uh, did. I did I, I've done it this year twice Abu Dhabi actually the, the thing was we, when we we talked very early in the season because the schedule was so busy I, I could only do the last race right. and I thought okay last race in fact is not too bad because it's not a big responsibility things will be settled down and you know there's <laughs> not too much work <laughs> But the idea actually, I think, is really good because the the, yeah. mm, the drivers actually appreciate it, and it's uh, it, it's in, in drivers' interest to have a driver between them, uh, between the stewards, and uh, it has been basically well taken by almost the whole Formula One community, in my opinion. But unfortunately, it was getting close and close to the last race, and <laughs> we all remember yeah, that yeah. you know there were three drivers fighting for the championship, <laughs> and I was there as nervous as you couldn't believe and then there were even speculation articles right oh, written yes papers. saying that uh, we i'm a ferrari fan yeah, yeah. And, and and whatever which is absolutely wrong because yeah. if they knew that you know i am in i've been in formula one thanks to mclaren i have been sponsored by red bull i had never had anything to do <laughs> with ferrari so no, definitely no, no, no. and actually i i don't care but in a way i took it a little bit as an offense because really when you were an FIA shirt you really feel you have a responsibility and there are no friends there are no flags there are no colors no, no. you just really try to do your job no, and you, uh, you, you were right to take offense yeah. uh, I mean I couldn't believe some no. of the things that but those the guys good were thing writing. is that uh, majority of the community actually uh, took my side and uh, I got a lot of sympathy also in, in the um, in the internet and uh, a lot of people were really yeah. backing me up so this made me feel quite good yeah. actually yeah Manuelli, before we before we finish, uh, can you just tell us all uh, what what you're racing at the Goodwood Revival and what kind of experience Friday practice has been so far for you? Well, this year I made myself very busy, but you know opportunities are there and it's so difficult to refuse them. Um, I've always been driving the TT, so it, it's a race that I don't want to miss. But normally in the TT I've been driving uh, an E-Type Jaguar, the 4WPD, which is, uh, I, of course it's not my car, but I feel very attached to it. <laughs> and and there is a, a Jaguar um, celebration, E-Type celebration. Sure. So I do the TT with another car, with an AC Cobra. Then I drive my, my on brackets, um, E-Type TT, w, uh, 4WPD. But then there was um, the opportunity to drive to drive uh, Jimmy Clark's Lotus Cortina, oh. and you know Jimmy Clark is oh. um, uh, 
I mean, I don't want to mention God because no, God no, is God, no, of no, course. No. I'm but Catholic and everything, but yeah. Jimmy Clark is Jimmy Clark. So yeah, yeah. to sit in in the car where he started his uh, his career is is a dream. Therefore, I'm also driving You'd this like car that too. Fantastic, marvelous. Well, I think that's a good note to end on, Nigel. Yeah, I mean, we're perfect, talking perfect, about yeah. Jimmy Clark, Lotus Cortina, Goodwood, Manuelli Pirro, who surely is the absolute embodiment of motor racing fan, apart from anything yeah. else. I mean, yeah. just such a good guy. Thank you so much for coming oh, along. My pleasure, my pleasure. And uh, as I say often, every time I come here, it's a surprise because you you never get used to these things. It's, it's just it's so so fantastic and. Um, it, it, we, we're all blessed to be here, so we try to enjoy it and um, and uh, yeah, see you around. On that note, Thanks. from the drivers' mess, the Rolex drivers' mess at the Goodwood Revival, we say goodbye for another Motorsport Magazine podcast. And I tell you what, nowhere else in the world will you have so many wonderful racing drivers on one podcast at one time. See you next time. Bye bye. You can save over 23% and receive a free DVD, Deadliest Crash, the 1955 Le Mans disaster, when you subscribe to Motorsport today. Three years in the making and using rediscovered and restored cine footage, the film includes eyewitness accounts from the Mercedes and Jaguar teams, plus stories from the spectators. It's a DVD all motor racing fans should own. Call 020-7349-8472 or visit motorsportmagazine.com to receive 12 issues for as little as £46. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing.